The following contains situations and circumstances that are relatable to all women, but are still uncomfortable and sometimes quite awful. We don't pull any punches. Listener discretion is advised. Life's a foolish game. Do you ever feel the same? Well, maybe we could change. Turn the ship another way. Feel it in the darkness. We're sailing right into those jagged cliffs. Yeah. Some say we've always been insane. Hey, life's a foolish game. Life's a foolish game. Perhaps no field is so rife with competition and female toxicity as the world of high fashion. Women are constantly compared against each other. In an industry where looks are all that matter, jealousy and rivalries are rampant. Welcome to Frenemies, a Toil and Trouble Media original. On this show, we examine notable women and the conflicts that help define them. This week, Two iconic women change how the world thinks of beauty and give each other a black eye in the process. It's the story of Tyra Banks and Naomi Campbell. Our tale, as gripping as a corset and as painful as a pair of stilettos fresh out of the box, started in the early 1990s when Tyra, a newcomer to the Paris fashion scene, was frequently compared to the already established supermodel Naomi. The two, both African-American women breaking barriers in the predominantly Caucasian industry, were often judged not on their own merits, but in comparison with each other. Nearly every element of the two unique professionals was under scrutiny for either not being similar enough or not being better. For them, the runway was a boxing ring, and there could only be one winner to come out on top. After being continually subjected to this, an incident occurred during a Paris fashion show where Tyra claims Naomi shoved her, validating the vibes of her simmering, tumultuous relationship. But let's take a step back and see how we got there. No one acts in a vacuum, and these women are no exception. Naomi Elaine Campbell was born on May 22, 1970, in London. Her mother, Valerie, was a professional dancer. Her father, only described as a man of Jamaican-Chinese heritage. It's probably for the best. He left Naomi's mom when she was just four weeks pregnant. Naomi never knew her father, whose name doesn't even appear on her birth certificate. When she was old enough to be curious, Valerie asked her not to go looking for him. But not knowing her dad doesn't seem to bother her. Some people are just better off without a project parent in their lives, and she learned everything she needed to know from her mom. Valerie, a contemporary dancer, inspired her daughter to pursue the same path. She enrolled Naomi in a renowned dance school at the age of three, and by 10, she joined the Italia Conti Academy of Theater Arts to study ballet. One day, while browsing through shops with friends at Covent Garden, the head of Synchro Model Agency spotted the girl and saw potential. Naomi could hardly believe how she, with her long, gangly arms and legs, was chosen over the other girls in her group. She couldn't wait to tell her mother about the opportunity when she got home, but Valerie was less than thrilled. 
Undeterred by her mother's reluctance, Naomi resolved to meet with the agent once more. A few weeks later, she made good on her plans and had her first headshots taken. Seeing the striking images of her daughter in the black and white photographs, Valerie conceded, allowing her daughter to model so long as it didn't disrupt her education. Within three months, Naomi's moment had arrived. At the age of 15, she landed her first major gig with the magazine British Elle. Her radiant smile and uninhibited expression captured the industry. Soon, she received offers from other agencies across the globe. Her career soared. And a mere year later, she was invited to Paris for a photo shoot with French L, where things went to hell in a hamster ball. While on location, the teen neglected to properly secure her things, and all of her money and valuables were stolen. Trusted by Valerie to take care of herself, and perhaps trusted a little too much, Naomi was on her own. She struggled with how to provide for her most basic needs, much less the needed transportation and accommodations required for her to continue with her job. That was until fellow model Amanda Cazalet took her under her wing, becoming a pivotal person in her life. Through Cazalet, Naomi met the renowned Tunisian fashion designer Azendine Alia. Initially intimidated by him, she soon warmed up to his patient nature. Alia offered her a place to stay while in Paris, and with her mother's approval, she moved in the next day, affectionately calling him Papa. As Naomi forged new relationships, she started modeling for international fashion magazines, quickly becoming a recognized name. As her fame and notoriety grew, she, along with five others, formed the Big Six, the first elite group labeled supermodels by the fashion world. Despite her almost heroic status, Naomi still often faced racial discrimination. She was intentionally excluded from certain shows due to her skin color, as major brands like Calvin Klein, Donna Karan, and Armani often used few or no models of color at all. Imagine the color of your skin not being fashionable. In response, Naomi later reflected, I understood what it meant to be black. You had to be twice as good. With determination and her connections, she set out to do just that. And her girls had her back. Naomi's fight was supported by fellow models Christy Turlington and Linda Evangelista, who issued ultimatums of their own to those same designers. If you don't use Naomi, you won't get us. Together, they ensured her exclusion was noticed. And in 1987, she finally appeared on the cover of British Vogue. She was the first black model to do so since 1966. In June of 1988, Naomi was scheduled for an Italian Vogue cover shoot. Frustratingly, the makeup artist failed to bring foundation in the appropriate shade of her skin, as if all skin tones look alike. The boneheaded move resulted in shots that made the model look sick. From that point on, Naomi ensured she carried her own makeup, refusing to let someone make her look bad again. Though she frequently modeled for French Vogue, Naomi noticed she was never on the cover. When she asked about it, she received a shock. She was told it wasn't even a possibility. I mean, the magazine had never featured a black cover model. Undeterred and probably more than a little pissed off, Naomi persisted to demand minority representation, receiving support from another influential ally, 
Upon learning of her rejection for such stupid reasons, designer Yves Saint Laurent threatened to pull his advertising from the publication. The magazine conceded, and our girl made history as the first black model on the French Vogue cover. Proving two things. A. Everyone deserves to be seen. And B. You don't screw with Naomi Campbell. Naomi's triumph in the magazine world soon translated into runway success. Her radiant smile and growing notoriety contributed to her being one of the most in-demand models on the globe. Lacking any formal training, she relied on her dance background to develop her iconic fierce walk. But the runway also bore witness to one of the most memorable mishaps of her career. High fashion shows often feature outlandish and impractical attire. For the runway model, it's kind of like running around wearing a parade float. While modeling a pair of Vivian Westwood's 12-inch platform shoes, Naomi misstepped and fell flat in front of the audience. Her response was just as unexpected. Rushing backstage, as fast as one can in a pair of the world's most expensive painting stilts, she psyched herself up for a do-over. Assuring the worried designer that all would be fine, she added, but if I fall down again, I'm not getting up and you'll have to come get me. And she should. Who in their right mind is ever going to wear a pair of shoes like that without spotters? True to her word and her balance, Naomi returned to the stage and completed the walk without further incident. The next day, Naomi's trip was all over the front page and designers began asking her to fall wearing one of their outfits too. She rejected the offers, but it wouldn't be the last time that she got negative attention. She was about to meet Tyra Banks. Tyra Lynn Banks was born on December 4, 1973 in Inglewood, California, to Carolyn London, a medical photographer, and Donald Banks, a computer consultant. While her parents divorced when she was six years old, Tyra maintained a close relationship with both of them. During her early years, she was bullied for her tall, skinny frame and made to feel uncomfortable with the rapid growth spurts her body experienced. She found her solace in modeling. In an atmosphere of poise and style, Tyra was elevated beyond the slurs and catcalls of cruel peers. There, she was stunning. She went professional at the age of 15 when she signed on with the L.A. Models Agency. After graduating high school, she moved on to become a client of elite model management, and her career took off accordingly. Tyra moved to Paris at the age of 18, eager to make a name for herself in the world of international fashion. Her arrival in Paris was met with immediate success, and she was booked for an impressive 25 runway shows during her first Paris Fashion Week. The move proved more successful than she could have imagined, impressing brands like Chanel and Yves Saint Laurent with her dynamic look and charm. Her astonishing rise quickly garnered attention from other design icons, and it wasn't long before she became one of the most sought-after models in the industry. Dressed by designers like Chanel, Oscar de la Renta, Yves Saint Laurent, she was photographed for the covers of Vogue, Elle, and Harper's Bazaar. She caught the eye of the press as well who wasted no time comparing the young and ambitious Tyra with the already renowned Naomi. There were whispers around the runway that Tyra might even replace her. 
On the surface, the two women had much in common. In any other circumstance, they could have even been friends. Instead, the opposite occurred. As designers, fashion followers, and the mainstream media continued to pit the two women against each other, a psychological conflict began to take shape. Despite their commonalities, the women had stark differences in their modeling styles. Tyra was friendly, enthusiastic, and approachable. Naomi, aloof, brooding, and intimidating. The distinction, coupled with their shared status as trailblazers for women of color in fashion, led to several unfortunate setups, all keenly observed by the media and fashion community. By Tyra's account, she'd been trying to build a friendship with Naomi and looking to her to be a mentor. But Naomi would have none of it and instead looked for ways to oust her from sight. Her attempts and failures to get close to her idol left Tyra feeling hurt and disregarded. And she had good reason. According to her, Naomi blocked her from major photo shoots and runway shows. She called her a bitch just as she was hanging up with her aunt after gushing about being in a show with her. Tyra had hoped to gather a wealth of knowledge and perspectives, but instead, Naomi made it clear there was no place for her. She walked away feeling like a pariah. She later said in interviews, As much as I was booking fashion shows, people didn't know I was going home at night crying my eyes out because the woman I was looking up to seemed like she just didn't want me to be there and was doing everything in her power to make me go away. Was there some truth to the adage that women just couldn't get along? Tatyra really felt that way. She recalled those early days of Paris with a lot of pain, but she rejected the notion that the two were rivals, the very term implying a level of equality between them that just didn't exist. Naomi was the dominant supermodel at the height of her career, whereas she was just the new girl finding her feet. Their tension came to a head when the two women were backstage at a fashion show. There, Tyra claims Naomi shoved her, saying, You'll never be me. Don't think you can be me. Although details surrounding the incident are murky, Tyra said the encounter left her feeling hurt, betrayed, and confused. Even if they weren't chums, did she have to attack her? Rivalry or not, the media was quick to seize upon the story, and the image it generated between the two supermodels became the hot topic in the fashion world. The coverage not only reinforced the cutthroat nature of the industry, but also underscored many deep-seated issues about race and representation. Fashion was, and still is, strikingly underrepresented by people of color. In a business where you can't swing a pair of pantyhose without hitting a thin, blonde, white girl, squabbles are common. No doubt several dressing room spats between hangry models flew under the radar long before Naomi made her presence known in Paris. And it's unfortunate that society remains capable of dismissing hundreds of incidents of Caucasian people behaving this way, only to turn around and use a solitary incident to erroneously define the norm of another racial group. But that's what happened. Neither woman is crazy about it. Naomi denied the accusations and said, I'm not someone to go and give myself away and say that to anybody. I've never said that in my life. If that's what you remember, I accept that person. But that doesn't sound like me to people who know me. In spite of this, Tyra thought she was a relentless bully and she struggled to process it. 
part of this involved talking about it, first privately to her circle and then publicly. She told people in 2019, I got to Paris and it was difficult. I did really well really fast. But then the industry was saying, oh, look out, Naomi Campbell. Here comes Tyra Banks. So, Naomi Campbell, sit your butt down. It wasn't fair to Naomi, but her response to this day, I'm very scared of her. It was very difficult, like some of the lowest points of my life dealing with that. When asked to respond, Naomi admitted she made mistakes in her past. Constantly facing adversity and discrimination, Naomi didn't know how to back down from a fight. And her fiery, tenacious temperament got her into trouble more often than not. Everybody who picked up a newspaper or magazine knew Tyra had her recollections of those early days, but so did she. The 1990s were a toxic time for her, too. Naomi was surrounded by editors, publicists, photographers, and stylists, every last one of them filling her head with stories about how the new girl was out to steal her job. Unlike her counterpart, Naomi didn't have family supporting her as she navigated the brutal world of beauty, fashion, and catwalks. She had to wing it, learn what she was doing as she went. She wasn't a mean girl, more like a work in progress. But she also had boundaries. She refused to stand by when people tried to provoke her, and she had no problems flipping that bitch switch when the situation called. I've lived my life in front of the world and have made many mistakes, she said in an interview. I own my mistakes. I've learned from my mistakes. It comes with the territory that people want to provoke you, and you have to roll with the punches. But, as everyone knows, I'm not going to be walked over. And does she have to? On September 22, 1993, Naomi experienced a less-than-model moment when elite model management terminated her contract. John Casablancas, the agency head, described her as crazy, irrational, and uncontrollable, stating that no financial gain or prestige could further justify the stress she inflicted upon their staff. Ouch. According to Casablancas, Naomi's behavior brought employees to tears, and they often covered up her behavior. In response, Naomi dismissed his allegations as sour grapes. Unfazed, she quickly joined Ford Models Incorporated, maintaining that she'd left Elite voluntarily. Kate Ford, the agency's president, expressed confidence in Naomi's potential, saying, Naomi is a top star. She's expanding her career into other areas and thought we could handle her better. If she could, she should have passed some notes on to Tyra. She would have been all ears. As Tyra's career continued to soar, so did the friction between her and Naomi. The alleged shoving incident was just the beginning of a string of occurrences where the two models were set up for conflict, personally as well as professionally. Despite the tension, Tyra continued to girl boss, becoming the first black woman featured on the cover of GQ, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, and the Victoria's Secret Catalog, as well as signing an exclusive contract with the lingerie company. The Victoria's Secret contract eventually led to her becoming one of the lingerie brand's original angels, a title that would help elevate her to supermodel legend. That year also marked her acting debut in the sitcom The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and eventual appearances on movies and shows like Higher Learning, Coyote Ugly, Life Size, 
and Halloween Resurrection. Scary, right? Naomi stirred the masses as well when she released a music album called Baby Woman. Critics slammed the album, and the public agreed. The album was so bad that it inspired the Naomi Awards, a satirical contest that celebrates those who make terrible pop music with categories like outstandingly bad contribution to music. Her other creative ventures in the 90s didn't do much better. The same year she released her album, she published her first book called Swan, a story about a supermodel being blackmailed. Her book didn't fare any better with the critics than her musical career. When it was panned like a polyester pantsuit, Naomi tried to distance herself from the project, disclosing that the book had been ghostwritten. As every other book written by a furiously busy celebrity. But Naomi went so far as to claim no contribution to the work at all, saying she just didn't have the time to sit down and write a book. Well, yeah. But their struggles led to both women evolving, becoming wiser and focusing on their careers and philanthropic endeavors. After taking a slogging for her failed music and literary debuts, Naomi decided she wanted to support Nelson Mandela and his fight against apartheid. She did a photo shoot in Tanzania, donating the proceeds to the cause. To her surprise, Nelson Mandela invited her to meet. The two formed a deep bond, and he made her his honorary granddaughter. Naomi continued to support Mandela's cause by connecting up-and-coming designers in Africa with industry professionals in the Western world, bringing the fashions and color of Africa to the global stage, her very presence bringing attention to the cause. In 1995, alongside several other models, Naomi invested in the Fashion Cafe, a supermodel-themed restaurant. Unfortunately, the image of tall, skinny models alongside large portions of food didn't make a lot of sense to diners. Naomi's name wasn't even spelled right on the menu. And the restaurant's failures didn't stop there. They kept piling on, to the tune of around $10,000 per day. That's what co-founder Tommaso Butti was taking from the till to support his lavish lifestyle. The feds ended up charging Booty with conspiracy, money laundering, and more. The fashion cafe closed in 1998, and Booty was pardoned by then-President Donald Trump on January 19, 2021. That same year, Naomi pled guilty to attacking a personal assistant in Toronto. According to the traumatized assistant, Naomi didn't just throw shade, but cell phones and other items within her reach. When the staff had enough and brought their complaints to court, Naomi agreed to pay a settlement and attend anger management classes. In 2003, Tyra created, produced, and hosted the reality show America's Next Top Model. It was her first venture where she controlled a project both on and off camera. The show gained a massive following, enjoying an impressive 24-season run and syndication in more than 170 countries. While Tyra was inspiring up-and-coming models, Naomi was crushing the souls of the poor bastards who worked for her. In the early 2000s, several employees stepped forward to accuse her of physically attacking them, forcing her to pay damages, do community service, and attend more anger management programs. They didn't work. Following the rulings, she walked around in a t-shirt that said, Naomi hit me, and I loved it. 
in an even larger what the hurt move, Naomi showed up for community service at New York Sanitation Department wearing furs, designer heels, and a ball gown worth over $300,000. She told this crowd of astonished reporters, maybe doing this service at the sanitation was meant to be like a humiliating punishment, but it isn't at all. She said she enjoyed the mundane work, describing it as pleasant and peaceful. And that makes sense. Our girl is as tough as nails and proved a long time ago that she can do anything in a pair of 12-inch platform shoes. Stepping away from the pleasant, peaceful work of sweeping floors in a ball gown, Naomi founded Fashion for Relief, a charity fashion show that donates its proceeds to global causes. Through it, she was able to pair her humanitarian work with her profession. Through those works, she connected with even more world leaders and more trouble. But Tyra was doing great. In 2005, she parlayed her success into her own talk show, The Tyra Banks Show. Like America's Next Top Model, the show was very well received, running for five seasons and earning her two Daytime Emmy Awards. During its run, the show focused on subjects she was passionate about, like women's issues, fashion, and self-improvement. In its first season, she even invited Naomi to appear. In a candid interview, the two discussed their perceived rivalry, and Tyra recounted numerous occasions where she felt snubbed or even disrespected by her. It was the first time the women's opposing views were displayed so clearly. Throughout the segment, Naomi denied the shoving incident ever happened. That phone incident where Naomi called Tyra a bitch simply for fangirling to her aunt about being on the runway with her idol? Naomi said she'd presumed that Tyra was saying horrible things about her behind her back, like the reporters and fashion followers always led her to believe. Naomi denied having any harsh feelings about Tyra at all. It was just misconceptions and misunderstandings between relative strangers. And Naomi took an opportunity to air some laundry of her own, at one point asking Tyra, Do you even know Johnny Versace? The exchange gave Tyra the perspective she was missing and the closure she so desperately craved. It gave her a chance to better understand Naomi's perspective and see how neither woman was treated fairly. There were plenty of famous future supermodels rising up through the ranks at the same time they were, most of them white, and none of them were hearing the same things they were. It's not like Kate Moss was plagued by people telling her to watch out for Christy Turlington. Where she couldn't condone Naomi's behavior, she could empathize with her. She could almost hear the voices telling Naomi she wasn't good enough, that they were going to take her fame and success, telling her to sit down and give up in favor of somebody else. She would never react that way, but she could see why Naomi did. The conversation was cordial, but tense, as Tyra laid out each of her grievances and Naomi denied or deflected them. Then, during a commercial break, Naomi came back and said, I'm sorry. Hearing her soft, gentle words flooded Tyra with emotion, and she said she cried like a baby. To hear that after so many years of pain and dealing with it publicly, me having to leave other agencies because of her? To hear that apology meant the world to me, she said. She had no idea what that did for me. By the end of their conversation, she was relieved, having finally made peace with her former idol. What the closure did for Naomi 
is up for speculation. In 2008, she was traveling through London Heathrow Airport and lost her luggage. Irritated, she approached two officers demanding assistance. When the conversation didn't go her way, Naomi popped her cork and attacked them. That little error in judgment caused her to serve another 200 hours of community service, and British Airways banned her for life. Yikes. Two years later, Naomi was dragged into another criminal case, this one without throwing a single cell phone. Charles Taylor, the former president of Liberia, was accused of selling blood diamonds to fuel a conflict in Sierra Leone, some of which he allegedly gifted her at a charity dinner. Naomi initially refused to testify, afraid for the lives of her friends and family. She didn't want to be drug into that. But a subpoena forced her onto the stand, and she became embroiled in Taylor's high-profile criminal trial. She testified that after the dinner party, she had simply received dirty-looking stones from two unidentified men and didn't realize they were connected to Taylor until the next morning. She later gave the mystery rocks away and had absolutely no idea they were uncut blood diamonds. But other guests disputed that. Mia Farrow and Carol White testified that Naomi and Taylor flirted throughout the evening, with Taylor promising her diamonds by the end of the party. They testified that the blood diamonds excited her, and she planned to donate them to Nelson Mandela's Children's Fund. Naomi denied everything. Under cross-examination, Naomi's defense questioned Farrow and White's credibility. White was in the middle of filing a lawsuit against Campbell for a breach of contract. Farrow struggled to recall simple details, like her son's age. The defense then called Jeremy Ratcliffe to testify, ex-director of the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund and another guest at the party. Ratcliffe confirmed Naomi's story, revealing that he had taken the illegal diamonds and had been holding on to them this entire time. Naomi was cleared of any wrongdoing. In 2011, Tyra enrolled in the Harvard Business School's non-degreed owner-president management program. The experience further fueled her passion for entrepreneurship and philanthropy. She also became an advocate for body positivity, launching the T-Zone Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering young women and girls. A year later, and free of blood diamonds and assault cases, Naomi partnered with legendary black models Aman and Bethann Hardison to found the Diversity Coalition, an advocacy group for minority representation in fashion. The coalition has successfully pushed for inclusive policies and practices, even going so far as to personally call designers who failed to use models of color in a meaningful way. Confrontation for a cause. Naomi was born for this shit. And the experience allowed her to grow up a little and give her former rival a shout out. In 2013, Naomi told Elle magazine that despite being pushed against one another, they were very much on the same side. I'm proud of her as a woman of color, she said. She's given girls opportunity, and God bless her. In February of that year, Naomi leveraged her expertise to launch the TV series The Face, a modeling competition to search for the next face of a major brand. The show featured supermodel coaches and competing teams of models. Walking her talk, she opened the contest to anyone and implemented a unique selection process. In the first episode, contestants concealed their faces, compelling judges to choose models based on their runway skills rather than their appearance. This led to a diverse cast of models aligning with her belief that talent should determine opportunity. 
Her television career continued to flourish as she secured a role on Empire after arriving to a meeting fashionably late. But her legal troubles soon returned when she was vacationing off the north coast of Sicily and a paparazzi started snapping photos of her. Not in the mood, she hit the man repeatedly in the face with her handbag, allegedly scratching his eye. A Sicilian court sentenced her to six months probation in July 2015. There's no word on whether or not the paparazzi got his shot. Around the same time, Naomi broke up with Russian billionaire Vladislav Joronin. In 2020, Joronin sued her, alleging she refused to return $3 million of his personal possessions. The case is still ongoing at the time of this recording, but at least she held on to the possessions instead of throwing them. So there's progress. Shortly after launching her cosmetic line, Tyra Beauty, and starting the e-commerce platform Fierce Capital, Tyra decided to take time and grow her family. In 2016, she welcomed her first child, York Banks Asla, via surrogacy to her then-partner photographer Eric Asla. Following the birth, Tyra spoke openly about her infertility challenges and her decision to use a surrogate in hopes of providing support to other women with similar issues. The following year, she and her mother co-wrote the book Perfect is Boring, in which the model offered an inspiring account of her life, emphasizing her resilience and perseverance. Among the key events discussed was a rivalry with Naomi. Now, that wasn't all she talked about in the book, or even a major part of it. For the record, she also discussed rivalry and sisterhood for women of color, the burden of representing an entire race, and navigating an industry that largely favors Eurocentric beauty standards. But you know what the media concentrated on. When the book was released, Tyra appeared on the Swedish talk show Skavlin, where she repeated many of the same stories she had discussed for decades now, no doubt intending the stories to be a springboard for her tale of resilience and healing. But the media didn't want to go there. They just wanted to return to the runway, and that time Naomi pushed her. What was she going to do? It happened, and she was there to promote her book, not defend anybody. In a moment of maturity, self-control, or court order, Naomi seemed to have turned the other cheek. Instead of responding, she launched a YouTube channel, posting videos about herself and interviews with her friends. Special guests have included Whoopi Goldberg, Paris Hilton, and James Charles. And Tyra finished her book tour and launched Model Land, a fashion and beauty-inspired theme park. In time, it seemed both came to an understanding that certain past issues should be left behind, bygones to be bygones. At least that's the way Tyra described it in another interview in 2019, this time to the Wall Street Journal. After repeating her truth again for reporters, she concluded by gracefully saying, I've started to heal, and I think Naomi has too. But Naomi wasn't about to be upstaged again. When the celebrity gossip site The Things ran an article that called Tyra the real mean girl, Naomi shared it with her 9.8 million Instagram followers. To support their claims, writers highlighted some controversial moments from Tyra's time on America's Next Top Model. While the show was considered groundbreaking in its time, certain scenes had resurfaced, including instances of painting models in blackface and suggesting a contestant shouldn't be openly gay that cast her in an unfavorable light. 
In the face of criticism, Tyra acknowledged the backlash, admitting some aspects of the show didn't age well. She tweeted in response, been seeing the posts about the insensitivity of some past ANTM moments, and I agree with you. Looking back, those were some really off choices. Appreciate your honest feedback, and I'm sending so much love and virtual hugs. And you know, it's not like she threw a cell phone at anybody. It's unclear what prompted Naomi to share the article, but there was little doubt of what it implied, especially when the title of the article was, Here's why fans are starting to think Tyra Banks is the real mean girl, not Naomi Campbell. And concluded with a statement, the woe is me Tyra narrative has definitely worn off. We don't want to reignite the rivalry, but at least now it makes sense why in their face-off, Naomi just sat there smiling, looking cold-hearted, dodging all the accusations Tyra made. Would they have minded if they reignited the feud? I wonder. Nowadays, Naomi spends her time fierce walking runways, doing photo shoots, and making her assistants flinch when she moves too fast. Tyra considers to concentrate on family, her career, and moving past conflicts only to bring them up again for funsies. You've got to learn to accept the fool in you as well as the part that's got it going on, Tyra says. Or, in Naomi speak, there's always work to be done. You should never sit on your laurels and think, oh, everything's fine. I still have the drive. So in a business where appearances are everything, what matters most is who gets the last word. Stay tuned after the break for another tale about Ms. Naomi. By 1997, the name Johnny Versace was synonymous with fashion. His iconic style made Johnny Versace SRL one of the premier design houses in high fashion. Only months before, he finished his most recent collection, slated to be showcased at a Paris fashion show. That show would be a star-studded affair, attended by celebrities, paparazzi, and fashion icons, including his friend and muse, Naomi Campbell. Versace and Naomi struck up a friendship in the early 1990s when he spotted her on the cover of a magazine and immediately knew she was someone special. He hired her to model his designs, and she quickly became a frequent collaborator and supporter of his work. Naomi was one of the models chosen to showcase Versace's final collection at the Paris Fashion Show. Like she had countless times before, she walked down the runway in a stunning silver gown. But as she reached the end of the catwalk, Tears began to stream down her face. Initially confused by her emotional display, the audience soon realized the reason for her tears. The dress she was wearing, that draped and enchanted, was from the final collection Versace would ever design. The dress, which shined like a perfectly cut jewel through the spotlights, camera flashes, and thumping background music, was one of the last testaments to the brilliance of a beautiful man. Emotion overwhelmed her as she replayed in her mind his warm smile, his generous, gentle soul. Her heart ached as she grieved what she wouldn't give to see him again. Johnny Versace was murdered only weeks before the show, shot down by serial killer Andrew Cunanan outside his Miami Beach home. News of his death rocked the fashion world, and in an industry known for cruelty and insensitivity, 
Naomi's runway tears were a poignant tribute to her friend. The moment was captured on camera and quickly became another iconic moment in fashion history. Naomi's tears of grief were a symbol of the profound impact Versace had, not only on the fashion industry, but to those who knew him personally. Today, Versace's legacy lives on through his fashion house, which continues to produce stunning designs and collections that honor his memory. And for Naomi, her friendship remains a cherished and emotional part of her life and career. This has been Frenemies. Thanks for listening. Frenemies is an original production of Toil and Trouble Media. Executive produced by Jennifer Beck. This episode was also written and performed by Jennifer Beck. I'm kind of a big deal. Additional production assistance was provided by Aaron Iris and David Beck. And our music was performed by Snowflake and Admiral Bob. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen and tell your friends. It helps us rise above the crap. And check out our website at toilandtroublemedia.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Threads. We're also on Patreon, and we have a YouTube channel if you want even more Toil and Trouble Media in your life. I lost control of those outlets a long time ago, so you never know what you're going to find. They're kind of like herding cats. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.